0: Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine podcast, brought to you by Mick DSP, professional audio plugins. For over fifteen years, Mick DSP has continued producing industry acclaimed and award winning software titles. The podcast is also brought to you by Slate Digital, all the pro plugins, one low monthly price. And now your hosts, Joey Sturgis, Joel Wanasek, and Al Levy. Hey everyone,
1: welcome to the Joey Sturgis Forum podcast. I'm Joey Sturgis and with me, as always, is Joel Wanasek and Al Levy. This month is Songwriting Month, where we focus on the process of creating songs. Now, if you're a producer, engineer, artist, or songwriter, there's going to be something in here for you because we'll be talking with people who break the mold and they do a little bit of everything in parallel to songwriting. So together we're going to be discovering more about these unique blends of musical talents and as they relate to music and song making, in which we hope to spark some sort of creativity as well as offer some insight to the current environment we're in. Now, let me take a second to talk about this. If you're listening to this episode and you're still at the listener level, let me tell you a little bit about why you should be at the fan level. First off, you're getting all the shows, which is great, but you're still missing out on our tips and tricks episode and our monthly live Q&A. Now, the tips and tricks episodes are going to give you knowledge that we don't just drop in our normal episodes. We make this stuff exclusive because it's really hard-hitting info that is rare to come by, and we ask the questions that people don't want to answer in public. So, if you're going you're to gonna want to hear that stuff, and the information contained in those episodes alone has helped some of our upper subscription members to improve by leaps and bounds, and we want you to know that it's available to you. The next thing you could be getting is the monthly live Q&A where we hop on the video chat live and we answer your questions live. You can ask us anything. We usually spend about an hour to an hour and a half throwing knowledge your way, catered specifically to your situation. And our current fan level members have praised us for these events. You also get the opportunity to interact with us in real time. So we get a better shot at improving your skills. And also during these events, we offer exclusive promotional discounts on various stuff like plugins. And if any of that stuff sounds cool to you, um, I urge you to upgrade your subscription to fan level today. You're going to get a lot more out of your investment. If you're at the free level and you're listening to this episode, you're missing out on so much. If you're not really sure you know what you're going to get out of it, check out jsfpodcast.com slash November 2015, and you can find out more. If you're listening to this episode after November, check out jsfpodcast.com slash make me a listener. And that's it. So yeah, how are you guys doing?
2: Doing all right. I'm actually excited to spend an entire month talking about songwriting, because I think the lines are super blurred these days between producers, musicians, and songwriters. You kind of end up doing a little bit of everything and so I I don't think that being just an engineer works anymore kind of like it did back in the day you could put on a lab coat and just fix consoles but I think that these days you need to be able to wear multiple hats like be pretty good at music and be able to improve other people's songs at a minimum even if you're not writing hits you still need to be able to be good enough to Make other people's songs better.
1: Yeah, there's so many blends of musical talents now. It's fascinating to me because I do see a lot of songwriters who, you know, even do the pre-production and they come up with stuff that is pretty hard to recreate. I've I've had a lot of situations where I've taken something from pre pro and just gone, Yeah, I have no idea how to make this better. We're just gonna use the original tracks. And more so than that, I've also had Uh, songwriters continue to be a part of the process, you know, after the initial demo, uh, go through the whole, you know, production, post-production process, come back in and, and offer additional insight into the process. So, I know you uh, actually write pretty closely with a lot of your clients, don't you, Joel?
3: Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I love writing, and I'm super excited for this month because I feel like this is pretty virgin ground for the podcast here. We haven't really dug into this, and we have a lot of very, very interesting people coming on from different genres that write amazing songs that you've probably heard on the radio or YouTube or many other various facets and writing, I think is a huge part of at least my process. A lot of times a band will come in my studio and they'll be like, all right, I've got some lyrics and two chords, write me a song, and I'll be like, you're kidding me, right? And they'll be like, yeah, by the way, I have only can afford one day, so you better deliver, asshole. <laughs> so there's a, a lot of situations like that that happened in my career when I was coming up, and I really enjoy writing with bands. You know, they walk in and we'll just pick apart riffs or whatever and then turn something into hopefully gold, so... It's an exciting process. You get to be creative. It's very mentally exhausting, and it's very fun. But there are people that make a really awesome living just writing songs. And I love working with songwriters, hiring them, and writing songs myself. So I don't know. I'm I'm just excited.
2: I want to dispel a myth, actually. You just made me think of this. I think that in some genres, there's a misconception that the artists write everything themselves, and that it's only in the quote-unquote fake genres like pop and country where there's another writer involved, I guess. And that's just not the truth, and it's never been the truth. All genres of music that get released have benefited from the collaborative process of an artist working with a writer. Now, sometimes the artist is the writer, and there are special occasions where The band is just so talented or whatever that they don't need extra help. But I would make a money bet that those are the exceptions. I'm talking on the realm of professional bands and artists.
3: A good thing to note, too, is a lot of guys that are like what would be considered the key point songwriter for their band who have very successful careers and write a lot of hits usually end up becoming songwriters after they're done with their band career and usually or sometimes in parallel with their band career and they write songs with tons of other artists and you might not even know about it but what's cool is that artist is out performing and they're getting the checks while they're sitting at home by their pool so it's a
1: cool gig. One thing I think we should stress though is you know, if you're listening to this right now and you're thinking, well, I don't really care about songwriting. I like turning knobs. I like making stuff sound cool. Let me just remind you that some of the best sounding productions, at least in my opinion, are by Mutt Lang and he's also one of the best songwriters. Same thing with Max Martin. And there's definitely a certain kind of secret sauce to this to where when you understand songwriting to a certain degree, it's going to help you mix. It's going to help you engineer. It's going to help you produce. Whatever it is that you're doing in this part of the industry, understanding songwriting can help even if you don't write songs for a living and you're not paid to write songs. It's good to understand it.
2: Well, the link between a really well-written song that's expertly arranged and a great-sounding mix are undeniable. I mean, they're not the same thing, and clearly you can mix a great song badly, but it's very, very hard to get a song... Sounding amazing if it's not already set up to sound amazing, down to the way it's written.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think as a producer or maybe even as a, uh, an engineer who's kind of, you know, juggling multiple hats, if you can recognize where that has gone wrong, you know, before before it gets put out, you might know exactly how to approach those problems and and how to offer solutions. And as you climb that ladder, and as you do that for your your clients, you're going to find that people are going to come out and hire you. And this is how a lot of guys have come up recently. I uh, wish I could think of their names. I know there's one guy whose name's uh, Drew, who's been working with Crown the Empire, for example. He started out, you know, very basic pre-pro engineer type thing. Started uh, slowly working his way into suggestions and and helping write stuff, and now he's. Full on doing co-writing for entire albums and and also doing some some upper end mixing work as well. So you know, don't sleep on this stuff. Hopefully, you guys get a lot out of this month. And today we actually have a really awesome songwriter, producer, engineer, kind of breaking the mold, doing a little bit of everything. His name's Kane Churko.
3: Oh, do we ever? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kane and his dad are pretty much I would consider the hottest. Producers at rock right now I mean if you're talking about active rock that's on the radio These guys are kicking out top tens like every month. And if there's a team of guys that are basically like the it guys that are working with all the A bands that everybody wants to go to, it's the Churcos. And Kane is a young guy, I believe. I I think he's in his early twenties, right? Yeah. And Kevin is in his forties. So they're, I don't know, whatever they're doing, they're killing it. So I can't wait to talk to Kane and we're going to pick his brain.
2: I want to find out exactly how young he is because I noticed that his credits go all the way back to 2004 with Smash Mouth. He's been doing this since he was really young.
1: Yeah, I think that's even before I started, I think. So that's pretty awesome. And he's staying really relevant. You know, he's working on some awesome stuff. So yeah, let's bring him on and uh, let's ask him some questions and get some insight from this guy. Hey, Kane. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. So are, are you actually in Canada right now? Uh, no, I'm in Las Vegas. Okay, yeah. So that's like the what's it called, the Hideout,
4: right? Yeah, me and my dad have a studio here called the Hideout uh, on Las Vegas Boulevard. That's awesome. How
2: hard is it to stay productive
4: <laughs> in, in Las Vegas? A town like Vegas. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it's not that it's not that bad for me because I'm a workaholic. Probably not much different than you guys. So, um, you know, I just I just work all the time, man. But. Uh, What I love about it is everything's open all the time. So when I finish working at 2 a.m., I can go buy groceries at 2.30 and make a meal at four in the morning if I I want that's relatively fresh.
2: (laughs) That's actually pretty cool. I bet that the whole Vegas thing wears off. I know that a lot of the residents can't stand the whole Vegas thing anyways. That's what I've heard at least. So I bet that it wears off and just becomes like a normal place
4: totally i mean i've only i only go i only go to the strip probably once or twice a year and that's if like family or friends are in town and they want to do something or whatever but m- most of the time you're just staying away from the chaos and you know a- a-
1: avo- avoiding all the tourist traps <laughs> I think an interesting problem might be the the actually the bands that come through to the studio
4: true true the, the, this is true and uh i would say it's a, Fifty percent of them struggle with that, and fifty <laughs> percent of them—it's it's a non-issue. I mean, I mean, well, you just got
3: to get a strip club in the studio, and then you're set, <laughs> and they don't need to leave. I mean, again,
4: it's great because everything's open all the time. So even if they they work long and everything, they can they can still go to the strip club at any time. They don't have to be there before a certain time, before a certain cutoff time. So it, you know, just making it,
3: sure we got the priorities straight.
4: It shouldn't cut in their, into their time, uh, even though obviously sometimes it does. <laughs> <laughs> but m- m- most of the bands don't have an, a big enough budget to make the process go any longer right, than, they, yeah. <laughs> than they than they uh, than they need to. Have you to, ever so. had any uh,
2: budgets just go? over because band members got sucked in by the strip and disappeared or anything crazy like that
4: no i mean i mean i mean for the most part to be honest uh, most of the most of the budgets we do are usually just all in we this is the price until it's done and uh you know so if it takes longer it's
1: it's on it's on me kind of now we were talking a little bit about The fact that you're the the youngest person ever to win a Juno Award, which is basically the equivalent to the Canadian Grammy. Um, And the song for that was Blood by In This Moment. You were the engineer of the year, right? Yes, yes. I I shared that one with my dad, but uh,
4: Blood was very... Blood was definitely my baby, so I was, it was a very special award for sure.
3: That album was huge, man. That was a great album. The vocal production on that—the first time I heard that, I'm like, "This is sick. It's so good." Thank
4: you. No, I mean we're we're very proud of that one. That's one of our all-time favorites for sure. And we we, we figured out a lot about uh, you know a lot of a lot of production techniques and stuff that we love still now uh, on that album. That was kind of like you know. Where we broke ground for ourselves in some ways too.
2: That was also the turning point in that band's career. I think they were on the verge of breaking up, possibly.
4: Definitely, d- d- definitely. And I mean, that was kind of just a really special situation where um, we had already done, or dad, you know, Dad had already produced two records for them, and this was their fourth, uh, their fourth record, and the last one on their independent deal was Century and it was one of those situations where they'd never kind of sold more than their first record, just kind of about the same every time, maybe about like 60,000 records or so every, every time, but never never a copy more kind of, and never any radio play. So um, this this was one where they lost they lost their manager right before it, they lost half their band, it was the last album on their deal where they didn't even know if they'd get picked up again or have any opportunities beyond this record, beyond the Blood record or whatever, and um, we kind of just, Got together with Marie and Chris, and really just formed sort of a special, special team and bond, and uh, uh, just were like, "What do you guys want to do? And how do we do it?" And you know, it, it became a very, um, you know, that that that, that record special just because we're really like family. I mean, when we make that record, it's just. The four of us most of the time in a room, so you guys wrote it together, yes, well, you guys sold what over two hundred thousand on that I th- yeah, I think it's it might even be over two fifty now or something yeah, yeah i'm not i'm not I'm not, sh- I'm not sure exactly, but yeah, no, it's over two hundred, which is great for them, and the single the single sold I think over two hundred thousand singles, maybe throw over three hundred thousand singles I'm not sure, um, which for them was the biggest thing they'd ever done <laughs> at that time the biggest th- thing I'd kind of ever. Ever uh, been really, really a, a huge part of in kind of every every way and stuff. So it, it sort of put, it, it sort of what got the phone ringing for me a lot of the times too. So, so I have a
2: writing question in sure. regards to that. So I know that that was the first album where they started to incorporate elements from other genres pretty heavily. That, that. Hit Blood was a total departure, and they had all kinds of electronic stuff, and it was no longer just metalcore with a chick singer. How would you guys go about when writing the material? How do you go about just grabbing that stuff from another genre and making it sound natural? I guess.
4: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's accidental. <laughs> I mean, uh, no, that's a good question, actually. And I mean, it, it was um, something we talked about ahead of time before even any songs were written. We had a meeting, um, basically, about what we wanted the album to sound like. And um, they had a they had an album title. They, they knew the el- they wanted the album called Blood, but they had no song called Blood. <laughs> and... It was one of those things where the first album Dad did with them did actually have sort of a lot, a lot of extra production and electronics, but the songs were um, softer. And we're talking about the album *The Dream* here, and the, the songs were softer and maybe not as well received as the thrashier songs from earlier in their career. Um, even though it still did just as good or whatever, but then the album after that, we decided to scale it back and make it, you know, more raw and more thrashy and. Less, less kind of extra production for Blood. They wanted to um, have it be as angry and thrashy as the album before that, but with the production of the first one that we did, um, with just even a heavier kind of tone to it all, a little more industrial. Um, you know, they weren't they weren't afraid to take chances. They didn't know exactly what they wanted to do, but they definitely were. Opening it up and being like, you know, I mean, even, even opening it up to me where that was the first time I was invited to write with them, where they extended it as much as if you come up with something cool and bring it to us, we love it. You know, we're down, we're down with it. So, so I went home probably that night and um, was like, I got to write the album track, Blood. <laughs> 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 they, 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 they have an album title called Blood. They have no, no song called Blood. Uh, let me figure, <laughs> 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 you know, the, I, but, but, you know, that's even how I, I you know, I correlate it. We're like, you know, let me go for the most obvious you know starting point you know we need a we need a blood song
1: <laughs> so well, sometimes we talk about how some of the the greatest work comes out of those types of scenarios. I know that's very true for Joel totally it, uh, he likes to work under pressure
4: I, I do too. I mean to be honest, it's one of those things if I have an unlimited amount of time to write a song. I'll write the song forever, and if I have exactly if yes. I if I have a day to write the song, I'll write the song that day. <laughs> it's the challenge of
2: it. How important is it for you to have a title before writing the song?
4: So, so important. Um, at, at least at this point, I mean, I feel like I've come up with enough beats and cool just I, music things in my life that like that's kind of the easy part now. And for me, there almost is no song if there's no sort of identity to it, at least. And I mean, sometimes that can come from production as well, obviously. But for me, like, I want to be able to kind of single the song out as like, you know, do I know another song called Blood off the top of my head? How do I make this the song that when you hear the word blood, you know it's this song or whatever? And I I like to think in terms of um, T-shirt songs a lot of the times. Where, where, you know, is it it a slogan I would wear? (laughs) Is it you know is it a specific thing that's kind of unique to the to the title even if it's simple you know does the song sound like that title you know so so it's you know for me the title kind of at least conceptually is always sort of like the jumping off point and like the point I like to start from for sure even before I, love I that
3: have a riff philosophy cuz like when i write a hook for example with a band and we sit down i'm like okay guys we need that lyric, you know, where somebody's going to want to hold up their arm and yell it out. Well, I mean, it depends on what kind of song. But say we're writing like an anthem rock or, you know, whatever. Sure. You know, that moment where people are going to want to grab it and it's going to be on a T-shirt or it's going to be, you know, like an identifiable brand. We need that catchphrase. And, you know, nailing down, the, like you said, the title or, you know, that catchphrase is such an important and integral part of the track. And if you can hit that, you know, that's, at least in my opinion, like one of the prerequisites for a song to be awesome.
2: So you'd say that the title informs the lyrics as much as the musical decisions?
4: I would say. At le- yes I would say yes at least if there's not a title um, early on there has to at least be a concept if it's like maybe we know the song's about sailing and maybe we're not going to call it sailing but that sets the tone for the Im- Im- imagery, <laughs> imagery and the lyrics that we come up with um, even though I did do a song called Sailing about sailing <laughs> and, it was, and it was metal as,
3: metal as fuck <laughs> I was going to say if you want to do a black metal band <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> if I don't have anything to go on I'll always fall back on like you know what is the comic book character version of this band? You know, yes. oh. What's like the persona of the vocalist, and and then so what's the supercharged version of that, and like how how would you throw that into a Michael Bay film, and then what would that look like, and then what would that you, sound? like? You just like? said so many
4: <laughs> so many awesome things there that I couldn't agree with more. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's funny even you say the comic book thing because for me I'm I'm actually a wrestling fan. Okay, and I, I relate music to wrestling all the time I, I'm like I want the song to sound like the care how the character looks which is the singer I want it to be the tempo that they might walk to the stage at I want you, you know you, you yeah. know, I, I, I <laughs> want the title to be a t-shirt that they might sell or a slogan that they might say or you, you know like I'm that's why I love wrestling to be honest is you know well you guys nailed that with five finger death punch totally I mean they, they they've honestly taught us a lot I think even about that because they had so much of that together themselves out the gate and that's how they thought of it and you know you're creating a lifestyle and trying to connect all the dots of that lifestyle into sort of a seamless experience that's more than just you know even the song I mean you know you want to wear the t-shirt of the song more than you even probably want to buy the song
1: absolutely <laughs>
4: <laughs> you know and you're gonna pay eighty dollars for a, a death punch jersey and you know ten bucks for the record so what's you know where, <laughs> where where's where's the money at Sounds like you're using a lot of
2: visual cues and a lot of imagery to draw your writing from.
4: Definitely. I think I learned that from not being too schooled, but also, I mean, there's certain artists we work with, and people like Maria from In This Moment have taught me a, a tremendous amount just about that, because that's how they are, and she'll, she'll explain that she has an album that she wants to do called Block Widow and not have a single song, but just explain every act of it and the whole process, and and I really dig like thinking like that and trying to sort of reverse-engineer. You know, the art, artist' dreams in a lot of lot, a lot of times. I mean, most of the time, I'm writing for the artist, or at least with the artist in a capacity. So, so a lot of the, so I try to just get out of them what they want to get out of themselves. You know, in a lot in a lot of ways. So, so it comes down to sort of describing things and learning their language and learning learning how to speak their language.
3: You know, that's cool you say that, Kane, because when I listen to Blood by In This Moment, Adrenalize is probably my favorite song on that record. And the one thing I really love about that song, I mean, the whole record in general, you could say this is like a stereotype for it, but the vocal delivery and performance is so authentic on that record. And especially that song just like the whole, when she's in her zone, it, it just feels so real and so authentic. And I feel like a lot of singers just can't quite pull off the theatrics of what they're trying to do. Like when she speaks and sings and does her stuff, like you can put yourself in her head. And I, I feel not a lot of front people, I feel like can do that. Yeah. And you know, whatever you guys did with her, you guys fucking nailed it. Cause it's, Brilliant. Like me and my assistant sat back and we listened to that song. We were like, "Wow, that vocal wow, performance. Thank you. Holy shit. <laughs> it was it
4: was pretty cool." I mean, when she's in the booth, we're usually sitting there saying the same thing, being like, "Holy shit, she sounds amazing right now. Like, how is she killing it and it's not even I don't think it's even her having as much um, an articulated understanding of of the theatrics of the craft, as much as she really just is that passionate, and um, e- even if there's imagery surrounding a song, the songs are all still vo- very real to her and very uh, very emotional and very deep. And she's she's the artist that will you know will cry in the vocal booth at the end of a take, and we keep it rolling and have used that cry, and, you know, <laughs> within <laughs> the re- awesome. w- within the records. I mean, I can't remember honestly if it was. I think it was Black Widow but in um in the, in the middle of the record like track 7 or 8 I can't, I can't remember the song to be honest but um there's about a minute and a half of crying that's just her crying for a minute and a half that was like at the end of that take and we, we just kept it and you, you know it is she's that artist that goes in the vocal booth and gives you goosebumps uh, even if she's not super technical with her understanding of things she just she knows so much about intention and just sort of putting herself right there in that in the, in that moment of whatever she's performing so on the topic of being technical you said earlier
2: that uh that you're not very trained um does theory play any part at all for you in the writing process or do you do it all by by ear and imagery
4: pretty much by ear and imagery I mean I, I you know I have under I understand various technical things just randomly and and kind of you know in an unschool just from random pieces of experience, and I you know I know a little bit about a theory not not a lot, but I, I know enough to to figure out a chord, for example, but I can't read it off a page you know I can't necessarily tell you where what the seventh chord what the notes of the seventh chord are right away but I can but you can hear them but I can hear them and I can go to the piano and show you (laughs) Um, (laughs) and um, you you know kind of you know yeah I mean really just that I mean I've always just kind of heard heard the wrong notes more so than understood what the wrong notes were or why they were wrong Um, you know dad Dad will explain as much as he knows to me uh, but I've definitely never had like you know music school or music teachers beyond sort of my dad and other producers I worked for randomly and as long as
2: you can hear it, that's really what matters.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think it's important not to get in the way. I mean, I, I do, I do envy at time to time my friends that you know are amazing pianists, for example, and that can just sit down and improvise endlessly and not hit a wrong note. You know, whereas I'll sit down and clumsily stumble around things, but you know, write a song get along the way, but but not uh, you know just not be as, as amazing to be a musician I suppose because of it I mean with Pro Tools um, and having Pro Tools so young um, I really kind of learned how to play anything without having to know know exactly
3: what I'm doing (laughs) I think there's an important distinction to make and I I feel like these are just my interpretation of it so I don't know what you guys think about this but um, I have two terms I like to use for writing songs. And I feel like a producer, being a good producer, uh, the latter applies. But there's kind of like, I call it like an idea person. So you have a lot of people that are incredibly creative. Like they come in and they'll just blow your mind with how original they are. And they can just splat a thousand ideas so quickly. Yeah. But the problem is they don't have a filter. They don't know what's good or bad. They just have too many ideas. And then there's what's, what I call like a closer, which is kind of like the producer role. Um, you know, the, the artist comes in with 50 ideas and you're like... This this one, this one, this one are brilliant. This is shit. This is shit. This is shit. But that is the hit. We're going to do this song. And then, you know, you then as the closer can come in and kind of take that raw talent and mold it into something. And that's where, you know, the the magic calculus kind of happens. And, uh, I, I think that, you know, I know like a lot of amazing musicians, I can totally relate where they're super creative or whatever. And I'm like, man, these guys are so talented, but at the same time, you know, they don't know what a good song is to save their ass, but they write just too many, and they have all these ideas, and they, they they lack focus. I guess is what I'm trying to say in a yeah, less that, articulate way.
4: I, I mean, my, my my dad always says uh, some people in life are starters, and some people are finishers. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, that's awesome. So, so, so I, I kind of agree, and I think I think I know a lot of people like that that you know could come up with a hundred songs, but they won't finish any of them, and all have done three songs in that time period, but they're done yeah, <laughs> and, they're, and they're available. <laughs>
2: hey guys al here and i just want to take a moment to talk to you about this month on nail the mix if you're already a subscriber thank you so much we appreciate the hell out of you but if you're not and you want to seriously up your mixing game then you might want to consider nail the mix this month we have a guest mixer mr kane churko and he will be mixing face everything and rise by papa roach and when you subscribe you get the multi-tracks that he recorded and produced. Uh, You download them. You can enter a mix competition uh, with prizes by McDSP. You get an Emerald Pack version 6. That's like a $1,600 software package. Plus, um, the winner also gets one year of the Everything Bundle from Slate. So really, really good prize package for Uh, our mix competition winners. We've also got a second place package that rules. And um, yeah, if you join Nail the Mix, you also get bonus access to our exclusive community, which is other audio uh, professionals and aspiring professionals just like you who just dork out on this stuff all day and night and love spreading knowledge. It's troll-free and so... Whether you're noob or experienced, it's a great place to just come talk about the thing we all share, which is a love for audio. So once again, if um, you haven't subscribed to Nail the Mix yet, this might be a great month to try. Um, You get to learn how Kane Cherko mixed the number one single, Face Everything and Rise by Papa Roach. Just go to nailthemix.com. Slash Papa Roach. That's nailthemix.com slash Papa Roach. How many ideas do you normally put down or get recorded or write, I guess, before you start to consider it the makings of a song?
4: I would say as, as few ideas as possible. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Great answer. I, I, I mean, uh, you know, we're both kind of, both Dad and I, um, we're kind of always under the, the mutt Mutt lang philosophy of like we don't want to write B sides we don't even want to think we're writing a B side so we sort of approach every song as it's not done until we love it and until we think it's not a B side <laughs> even if it's that's awesome even if it's going to be a B side um, you know or 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 whatever in in the in the end so you know it's more for me if if i spend an hour or two working on an idea or whatever, musical or conceptual or something, and it doesn't turn into something that just like feels that exciting to me, I'll probably just lose interest and move on to the, to the next thing. And I would say most of my favorite ideas still always happen really fast, really quickly, even if it's just the essence of it. I mean, Blood, blood was one of those where, like, Within five minutes, I had the hook and the riff and the beat in my head, and it never changed from that initial five-minute moment, even though the rest of the song is kind of written around, around that. You know what I think is one of the
2: curses of amateur writers? It's not that they don't have the talent to write the good stuff. It's that they don't have the discipline to throw away the bad stuff and put the brakes on when the good stuff does present itself. Just make yeah. more and more and more and more and keep it all. They get way too attached to every single idea. So I like what you said.
4: I agree. I mean, I, I think, you know, I'm always telling so many artists I work with just kind of how much better writers they are than they think. Because they're always sent around by their labels to write with other people like me. And they always <laughs> and, and, and they always come to me with a bunch of really great ideas where I'm like, how you know you don't need me to write this kind of like you need to be able to recognize it you need someone to say hey that's a good idea and there's no one there doing that <laughs> maybe from the the label side or the AR side or or whatever
3: yeah they all they do is sit around and tell you everything is shit anyways until they decide that <laughs> they like it this week and
4: <laughs> you know but on, honestly to me most of my the time my job feels ridiculously easy where I, i'm always panicking and how am i going to write a song in two days and i the label wants it to be the single and I've never even met this band before and go, going through it all in my head and freak, freaking out. And then the band comes and I realize, oh, they have a good riff. They have a good... I mean, I'll just ask people, you know, if I'm writing with a band I've never met and I know nothing about and maybe it's just a writing session, you know, I'll just ask them straight up the gate, like, play me your favorite riff or all the different riffs you play yourself that you've never made into a song, like your whole life, the thing you play in between sound check the, the you know the the course you've been stuck on forever that you threw away because you know and you have no focus to finish it or whatever like play me all those because chances are most of the time there's tons of usable stuff in there and there's tons of things that I, I usually find really inspiring and, and a lot of the time it's just sort of finding that what's inspiring about that artist and you know running with it I mean I always tell people I kind of approach the writing like um like a, like a method actor sort of, where I really like to get get inside the psychology of like who that artist is, and if I gotta write with somebody, I'm googling them, I'm looking up their Wikipedia, I'm finding out about the relationship problems that they had the year before, I'm finding out what all the things I think their fans are gonna want to read about, or you know in, in the lyrics, or sing, you know, and think that the artist is gonna want to talk about. I'm gonna find out where they grew up. To me, that's very important to represent. You know, who the artist is. Here's a question
3: for you, sure. Kane. So um, what do you do when a band comes into your studio and the label and the band are having a freaking identity crisis? You know, the band wants to go in one direction, doesn't necessarily know which way. The label's kind of the same way. They keep experimenting back and forth and, uh, you know, it ca- causes a lot of stress. So where do you find uh, creativity and inspiration in a situation like that where, like I said, the artist kind of comes in and they don't know what they want to sound like or what their sound is going to be going forward?
4: Uh, You you know, I I know most of the label people aren't going to like this or necessarily agree with me on it, but um, I just believe you have to represent the artist. And usually in those kind of situations, if there is sort of that tension or uncertainty, and we've definitely dealt with that. I'll usually just kind of say, let's, you know, you know, I'm talking to the label. I'm just saying, trust us, let us do one or two songs first and then show you like, you know, let us let us show you, (laughs) you know, (laughs) because, you know, we might describe something they think they don't like, but I know they're not hearing in their head what I'm hearing. And I I like to think that once they do, they, you know, they'll be able to see it similarly. And I think a lot of times that does work. I think there's been very few times where we've maybe handed something in and, and we've had those kind of like real, real fundamental issues. I would say, in fact, there's been a lot of times where we've where if that's happened, and the label's like, oh well, we still don't think there's a song that's enough of a single, blah 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 blah. Let's write two more songs, oh, and I fucking hate let's that. Let's write two more songs because maybe those two will be the singles, and then you and then you do those two, and they're not the singles, and then the label realizes two weeks later they like the first two songs you did, and those were the singles, and and, and, you, and the problem just ends up solving itself. With you know, I'll <laughs> by spending a lot more work <laughs> than you uh,
3: maybe want to <laughs> to prove. I it. hate those situations. I went through a very grueling one earlier this year with a band, <laughs> just as you described. The label changed their mind literally every three days. It's amazing to read the email change because it, you, they all sound like they're on fucking drugs. I mean, it's yeah. Uh, it just doesn't make any logical sense at all.
4: Or how about how about the classic? Oh, this is great. We love it. Now let's get so and so to mix it because of course it'll be better once they mix it. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know, and and you go through that, and they pay three mixers to mix it, and then realize that they don't like any of those mixes better because they like the ones that they've lived with for six months, and you know, it's just uh, it's it's the same old, same old, same old. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, what instrument do you play?
4: Uh, I would say I'm strongest at guitar. Maybe um, I play a little bit of keys, just self-taught, and I mean, I sing. You know, I mean, like I said, Pro Tools, I can program and imagine most things. (laughs) So
2: how important is it for you to have a guitar in your hand when you're writing? Do you do it like at the guitar or you do it in your head or on the computer or just a combination of all the above these
4: days a combination probably um i mean i started definitely writing songs on guitar when i was when i was younger i mean the first the first thing i did i had like a handful of guitar lessons in my life and the first thing i did when i went to the first guitar lesson was take the guitar was get them to teach me a green day song learn three chords go home and be like oh i can rearrange these three chords and make my own song let me just do that because that's more fun (laughs) it's funny because like to this day i know almost no covers like at all all I know are songs that I've written, and I can't. I'm the same. Way. I can't play the most basic cover song, and people are always like, "Come on, Kane, you're in a band. Get up on stage and at this jam session, and you know, play American Woman or Back in Black or something with us." And and I don't. I don't know. I don't, I don't know more,
1: more than a verse on a course of anything I only recently started learning how to play some songs <laughs> but uh, I was the same way for the longest time and I think there's definitely two different styles of songwriting I think there's people who know like how to play every single pop chord progression ever yeah. and so when they write it they use those yeah and then there's people who have no clue what they are and they just do what they think sounds cool and i think both both ways are completely viable but yeah it's just two different things
4: i like understanding somewhere in the middle i mean i mean i i've definitely spent my time you know reading all the books and articles about like this is the most popular key to write a pop song in and you know there's the hit song progression and you know the most famous pop female sensitive songs are written with this progression and you know and all all that kind of stuff and i've definitely gone through phases when i was younger trying to do that and being like let me write 15 songs with the same hit song progression and <laughs> maybe i'll maybe i'll have a hit you know or whatever and, and i think it's important to kind of maybe understand a little bit of that and there's there's definite you know there's definite tricks that you can apply and make a, almost any song better for sure
2: we- That's like the songwriter's version of practicing your scales when you're yeah, first but, learning guitar most is the- right.
4: Most of the time, my biggest songs aren't any of those things, or you know, or you know, or only have a couple of those things, but they are never have never been the hit song progression yet, even though I'm
3: still writing that one over and over again. <laughs> so, speaking of hit songs, because that's a kind of a fun topic, and this is always a weird question because sometimes it gets political and some people get really weirded out by this question. And some people are like, Oh, yeah, dude. So, what do you yeah, think yeah. makes a hit song?
4: I'm on the side of the fence of music being subjective. So, I mean, for me, what makes a hit? song is it has to have identity for me i want to have more reason to listen to that song than the next thing you know it's good i like lots of bands that are very separate from each other like i love a band like cake for example that like only sounds like cake and always sounds like cake and when when i want cake i can kind of only get it from them and no one's really truly emulated you know all those ingredients in that kind of way and i you know i always kind of like those sort of things a lot um I want to be able to remember it. I want to be able to hear it once and be able to Google it and find it and add it to my Spotify playlist.
3: (laughs) uh, The bar test, I call it, you know, where you're drunk at two in the morning and the song comes on and no one can even talk, but they can all sing the hook in that song, but no one knows how the rest of the song goes. You know, it's got to give you, it's got to give you a
4: a feeling that you want in some way. I mean, even songs that like aren't songs I would listen to 10 times a day, like, uh, Pour some sugar on me by Def Leppard. I wouldn't listen to that ten times a day, maybe anymore. I, at one point, I probably listened to it a hundred times a day. <laughs> but, <laughs> but 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 when you hear it in a bar, and you're you're in a bar, and you have had two drinks, and pour some sugar on me, or Back in Black comes on, it feels awesome. <laughs> it's just Fuck you know, yeah, it does. <laughs> it, you, you, you just. You feel the, the moment. It enhances the moment. It's It becomes like, it augments your reality, you know? A good song should be able to do that. So as a pro songwriter,
2: going back to what you said about every song or band needing their own unique identity that sets them apart completely from all the other songs, just like the cake example, so how do you go into a situation with a band where you're part of the creative force as a writer, but manage to keep that identity intact for that artist meaning not have it suddenly sound like you keep it sounding like them
4: that's tough i think a lot of i think i, I think both of us have kind of come to accept that um, there's a certain amount of style with with what we do that is kind of specific to us as well and when when you're coming to team up with us you know you're getting that along with it um, mm-hmm. you, you know, I mean, I, I've always really liked producers like Mutt Lang or Dr. Dre or, let's say, even Pharrell or someone, someone like that. Who, yeah. who when you when you, when, when you go to them, you're going to them very much for what they do, and you're not going to get something that doesn't sound like Pharrell back. And you know, they're they're not going to be guys where you can say, oh, actually, hey, Pharrell, can you make a song for me that's kind of like. Uh, you know, this other Jay-Z song that a different guy produced, you know, you're going to go to Pharrell because you want it to sound like Pharrell. And, um, you know, kind of, I guess, egotistically enough, I want people to come to me generally for my strengths and and also because lots of the time my strengths are my my interests. So, I, I don't, I don't usually like to work with bands that I'm not writing with because I love to write, and that's just really
1: fun to me. And I love to write way more than I love to engineer. (laughs) Some of the most successful people really just pick one thing that they're very good at and they just laser focus on whatever that is and just do it extremely well and just keep doing that and uh, that's the same thing with mine like I could easily you know work on various styles of music but obviously people come to me for a very specific niche thing and I think that's probably in my opinion the proper approach to it nowadays especially with the market being so saturated and diluted as well you sort of have to just excel at whatever it is that you're bringing to the table your little special steak sauce, you yeah,
4: know? And, and I mean, you know, I, I try to, you know, when, when it comes to the identity and stuff, I try to um, I approach it like I'm maybe signing up to be in that band's band for those three or four months that we make that record for. Um, so so, so I'm, yeah. I'm certainly trying to think from their perspective, trying to think of their audience, you know, trying to, if they're a young band, trying to think younger, if they're more mature, trying to think more mature, you know, just whatever the goal, the goal is, I'm trying to assimilate myself sort of into that and, you know, j- join in this moment as if they had a, goat, a, a writer in the band that maybe knew a little bit more about how to f- form, you know, a, a song for, 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 the, for a format um, and, and for, uh, for, for the listener maybe a little, a little better. But yeah, I mean I mean it's it's tough especially cuz I you know we do everything and most of our records we co-write, engineer, produce, mix and master. So I mean, I'm so obsessed with the end result that I would say that almost nothing kind of doesn't get affected by <laughs> our own style and and, and, right. and and I think in some ways people listen to our band's records for a bit of that whether they know it or not, but I mean there's a lot of musicians definitely that come to me that are like we love your records cuz I Love how the drums sound, and I can tell they're turco drums. And you know, I think we just live in a in a time period where sort of that's just happening, and producers are becoming more apparent in the style of all genres. And you know, there's not a lot of players these days, musicians. That I think can think of that always necessarily have a certain unique drum tone to, to just that that musician. You know, it's not like Vinnie Paul. I mean, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I mean, there's there's those guys that have existed for sure. But exactly like like those guys. But you know, there's not a lot of young guys these days to me that are that distinct and that maybe mainstream enough to become relevant in that specific way where they're unanimously known for for being you know. The new young, awesome-sounding guy with that one specific tone and that one specific groove, mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, I think, I you know, I think that's that's happening less and less, and people are sort of um, you know getting just the 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 style of the the, the production. <laughs>
3: yeah, it's interesting. It's like the producers have become the stylized musicians in a way. Now that you kind of point that out, and kind of the the light goes off in my head. I,
4: I think so. I, and 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 to be honest, I mean, you know, I'm I'm not, and I'm not you know. F- I'm not championing that way necessarily as being the best. I mean, I know a lot of musicians would much rather have producers keep their hands off of their work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, I I mean, for me as a kid, um, even before I knew I wanted to do producing or writing or anything like that, I was just a geeky kid that liked music. And one day I made a database of all the CDs I owned. And in that database, I wrote down who produced each of them. Just because I wanted more data, I guess. <laughs> and um, it, 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 in that process, I found out, oh, I own 100 CDs, and eight of them are by the same producer. I probably like that producer's work, and I and I'd start just looking at producers and listening to producers. So, so I mean, all my favorite producers, kind of, I found did have a style because I'd realize without knowing it or knowing of them that I'd own, you know, a dozen records by the same same guy or whatever. And um, I, I don't think that's accidental by any means. So I, for me, it's just how I listen and it's, it's, it's how I then execute, I guess, my, my own work. So with uh,
2: you know, all that emphasis on writing and also having a unique sound, do you think that these days arrangement is part of the writing process as opposed to one point in time where somebody wrote on a piano and then gave it to an arranger and an artist and it's two totally different things?
4: yeah I mean I've honestly never worked any way that's different than that as far as far as I've never had the luxury of even working with an arranger and knowing um, what a good working with a good arranger would be like but yeah I mean I mean arrangements to me is crucial, and it happens day one and uh, you know bands bring me in their five and a half minute songs, and I immediately put it in Pro Tools and cut it down to three and a half minutes. <laughs> And and just you know just find where the good part is. Lots of time I find they don't even know what the best part of the song is, and it'll be like the last section of the song. I'm like, oh, what's this chant that only happens once in the last 15 seconds of the song? That should (laughs) that should happen at least four more times for twice (laughs) for for twice the length, and I'll copy and paste it around, and even like Frankenstein their demo into an arrangement. You know, regardless of even if we're rewriting something or whatever. Um, That's how I usually start out: is take the demo, chop it up, and
1: Frankenstein. Yeah, it. And
4: just just, and it, I find it helps just to show people because you know I could explain how I want it to them. I find, but not everyone can yeah. can imagine it the same way. But when once you cut it, they're like, "Oh yeah, that part does go on too long." You know, let's cut every part in half, and it's a better song. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, where's the line drawn, in your opinion, between? arranging and writing
4: is there is there a line i mean for me i guess they're the same i suppose i i mean here's the thing if a band let's say if a band does bring in a song that they wrote themselves and i'm just doing some edits to it i'm not going to take songwriting credit like if i'm not adding lyrics or melody to it i don't think i'm writing it really even though i might be making it a better song by taking a minute out of it that being said, there's almost never been a time where I didn't feel I could make someone's song better <laughs> but by, by maybe re- rewriting something or adding something melodically or lyrically different at some point in it too. So usually for me, that just happens as part of the process and um, you know, and again, it's just because it's fun for me i listen I listen to everything as a fan, sort of so you know i'm I'm singing along and I'll sing something that isn't in the song, but I feel should be, <laughs> and you know, it'll be you know whatever. It could be something big or it could be something small. Like maybe I won't like their chorus. Maybe I'll just think their chorus is only half of a chorus and it needs a tag or something and a, and um, something to resolve to. Maybe they maybe they don't say the the title enough or something or and it's a good title or you know it's just something. Maybe there's something about the song that I like a lot that just should happen more. And and um, usually I, tr- I I try. I try to start there. I try to find all the things I like first, and emphasize those things more. And then, I, then after that, try to cut away the things I like less, and keep work working the weakest links sort of out of it if you can. Uh, and it's actually funny. There's one time uh, I had a client, just or not a client, a prospective client, come through here and and, and tour the studio and stuff. And um, I was talking about the process and saying exactly what I just told you guys about how I'm gonna probably think of a. Better, better, you know, way to make their song better, basically. And they got mad at me straight away. And we're like, (laughs) and we're like, how could you even say our songs need to be better before you've even heard them? I just said, like, don't be offended by this, but I don't care if you're Stevie Wonder, if you're hiring me to make your songs better. I'm going to find out a way to make them better, or at least I'm going to (laughs) try, you know, and, and you, you know, I might tell Stevie Wonder I have a better course and maybe my course isn't, isn't better, but if he's, if he's hiring me to produce, you know, or to, to, to be responsible for the end product, then I'm going to do whatever it takes.
1: And, you know, I think that some of our listeners probably encountered this on the lower end, like a, the smaller studios yeah. and the smaller guys are working with these people who sort of think that way before they think the other way, you know, that they're they're quick to jump to like, well, why would you say that our songs are going to suck? And why would you even assume that we have, you know? Yeah. So, I think it's very hard for them to, to listen to where we're coming from and to try and, you know, take our advice and and actually apply it to their own situations. But it's nice to hear, I guess, that it still occurs with um, people even at your level.
2: So, (laughs) yeah, we have some questions from the audience, if you don't mind us asking. Okay, so Giovanni Angel was asking if you could touch on some of the legal aspects of co-writing with artists.
4: Yeah. I don't know specifically what he would want to know about. Um, he w- He didn't get more
2: specific than that, okay. so I would say maybe some major pitfalls to avoid yeah. and just major things to definitely. You could also
3: explain how like writing splits work and you know points and well, sure. I guess points is a producer thing, but you know what I mean. Like yeah, the, the legal side of you know how does BMI work and shit like that.
4: Yeah, I, I mean I, I would say uh, splits are an important thing to talk about. I like to 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 think a little bit old old school when it comes to rock music at least where it's a team sport and um, if I'm writing a song with three people and three of them show up to write the song with me I'm expecting that I am I should get 25% you know a fourth of whatever the the song split with them and I, and I expect at least I expect at least that I expect it to be equal and I usually fight for equality um, even if there's been other writers there's been times where the artists come back and send a split sheet out for the fact that isn't equal. Or might maybe even is equal for me, but not equal for an, another writer. And I'll make whatever concession I have to and, and make whatever phone calls I have to usually to make sure it's equal. So if I'm writing a song with, in this moment, it's usually you know me, Chris, Maria, and my dad. And it's an even you know, four-way, four-way split, for example. Um, if I'm writing a song with a band where just the singer shows up, then it's 50-50 and it's you know or, or whatever so that's usually what I expect now that being said uh, most of the time I don't have a contract ahead of time and I just sort of take it on good faith uh, I mean I, I've been I've been screwed over a couple times doing that but for the most part I find at least I'm lucky enough at this point in my life to to find good people to work with and if someone is going to be a a dick bag and try to screw you over something and and want more than something that's that's fair. I just don't have to work with them again and I don't have to think about it and I don't have to sign the agreement if I don't want to. And you know, it's just it's a, it, it's 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 a cheap lesson to learn to find out someone isn't of good character. So is the reason that you do the contract
2: afterwards not to spoil the vibe ahead of time?
4: A little bit. I mean, I mean, part of it for me is like. I I hate contracts. I really I hate I hate contracts. I, I hate I'm with the, you. I, I hate the idea of them. You know, it was actually uh, you know one, one of my all-time favorite producers that I that, that I know has had the same manager for thirty years, and he's never had a contract with him. They've had the deal in the handshake, and five hundred million records later, they're all still cool with each other, and there's no problems. And they talk to each other on the phone every day, and. There's no problem. So, 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 I'm, you know, it's the maybe it's the Canadian in me. I like to leave the front door open and just trust people. And, and it's called and, integrity. And, and, and find out who, and find out who the bad guys are.
1: <laughs> the problem with that, really, though, is the fact that just, at least in my experiences, that bands just aren't always loyal. They're not always going to be loyal. They're going to want to go to greener pastures or whatever it is and you know even even the bands I'm not naive to, to believe that if I work on five albums with a band that they're gonna wanna come back for the sixth one so I find that contracts are just a necessary evil I definitely agree I mean
4: yeah I, I, I mean I think producer contracts are, are more important for me um, in terms of uh, you, know, you know, making sure I get paid and work and stuff. R- writing is always usually sort of spec anyway, or you know, spec anyway, to an extent, um, wh- where I'm not usually yeah. getting a, f- a fee or anything. And I don't even know if the song is going to be on the record until I'm either hired to produce it or someone else is hired to produce it. So, it, it, you know, it's kind of, you know, writing to me is still sort of a bonus, I guess. So, Income-wise, I would say, I guess, it's more of a bonus where I make as much time for it as I can, but you never know what you're going to draw that quarter. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, right. producing, I know what I'm going to get for a record, and I know I'm going to get X, half up front and half at the end and what, what how long it's going to kind of take and stuff. So contracts are more important for producing, and I've gotten screwed on both ends. I've gotten screwed on writing and I've gotten screwed on producing. However, I've never actually had someone try to screw me over and get away with screwing me over so <laughs> so, so so let that be a lesson to everybody out there <laughs> I mean you know I mean it's, it's, it's definitely good advice to get a contract and it's good advice to do all that for me it's usually extra time extra money extra thought it's like I said, I want to be able to trust someone, and if I see I can't trust them, I just won't work with them again, and I'll open my email and pick one other client that I'll like more. <laughs> um, and, you know, I love I love what I do. I love what I do, and we have a very... Um, family-oriented you know, family business here. I work with my dad every single day and have most of my life. And my sister's the studio manager, and my mom decorated the studio, and I work with most of my friends as assistants and stuff like that. So I, I like who I work with. I like doing what I do, and if anything kind of remotely sours the, an experience for me, I just want nothing to do with it. <laughs>
2: Fair enough.
4: That's awesome. It's it's an exaggerated version of, you know, the best thing you can do is lend someone 20 bucks, have them not pay you back, and find out, you know, for 20 bucks that that person's, you know, not of good character. You know, writing, I usually get a contract after the fact. Most of the time, everyone's cool. I'm very generous. I think there's a lot of writers that would take half regardless in some situations if there's five, even the whole band shows up. And I'll, I'm, at this point, at least, have been happy taking a fifth if the four, four guys show up, so... I'm just happy to be there, and you know, usually trying to get the production gig if I'm doing a writing session anyway. So it's, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun.
3: I think equal splits are awesome when you're writing because it makes it very non awkward. It's always weird when you're not when you're doing like a skewed split writing, you're like, Well, I wrote that riff and I wrote that word, and I wrote this part of the hook and this melody note, so I get an extra six percent, and then you sit there and you fight back and forth about it, and then it becomes four percent or seven percent, and you know, it's it's more like okay, we got six guys writing, six way split, three guys writing, three way split. It just so much less bullshit. I agree. I think
4: I think and you know that being said, it's like I, I try to discourage any one from being in the room that doesn't need to be in the room you know if there's if there's a bass player that's not not a lyricist or, or or coming up with a melody or writing a riff he just doesn't probably need to be there so so it's like you know you try you try to discourage you know having too many cooks on the kitchen for sure um, and maybe there's some exceptions where like if some random friend gave you like a line change for one thing or something and you're like oh I I think that's actually cool, and let me give my friend his first writing credit, and give him, you know, five percent or ten percent instead of you know fifty percent or whatever if I wrote the song myself or, or something like that. But um, I think for the most part, I think it's a team sport, and I mean, if, if you change uh, back in brown to back in black, that alone's a big enough difference to, to warrant, you know, equal share. <laughs> yeah.
2: So Carl Winner is asking, how soon should a hook hit? And how do you take an okay melody and
1: make it pop?
4: Seven seconds.
1: No, <laughs> I always thought before before sixty seconds, but in the more like alternative yeah. like rock metal scene, it's not as important. But um, you will notice that most of the biggest songs have the hook in the first sixty seconds.
4: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm I'm a lyrical listener, so I love getting to a vocal quick, even if I'm not getting to a verse right away and have like an intro and then an intro riff or something. I love if I can sneak the title in there somewhere, and uh, you know, y- y- you know, yeah, you know, If you can start with a chorus, that's wonderful, wonderful. It's a h- h- hard for me to do a lot, but you know, I mean. I like to get to the hook as quick as possible, you <laughs> know, or have different kinds of hooks. You know, I mean, it's not always the chorus that's the that's the hook. That's the only hook in the song or whatever. I mean, I think a lot of times the in- intro riff is, at least in rock, is just as important um, for amping up the whole song as you know the 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 chorus might be for winning people over with you know the songwriting aspect or something. If that makes sense, (laughs) yeah, totally. Hey,
3: hey, real quick, off topic, before we get back to questions, how fucking awesome was it working with Papa Roach? Oh, I love those guys; they're my favorite. I got to tour with them for a couple of dates back in two thousand eight, and they're just the nicest, coolest dudes I've ever met in a band. Like, they were like the least douchiest guys. They were just so nice. Like, they'll come right up and like, "Hey guys, what's up?" And I just think the world of them as people. They're just. Especially Jacoby, he's just. So I completely
4: awesome. agree, and Jacoby is definitely one of my favorite people in the world. Um, he is—he's not just a front man on the stage; he's a front man in life. And, and, yeah,
3: he himself is like a brand. I mean, he's just amazing live, and just an incredible front. And man. he's
4: just—he's just someone that's just so genuine and genuinely wants to uplift the room, whatever room, whatever yes. room he's in. And he's the guy that will. Walk in the room and he, you don't know him. He'll walk up to you and be like, "Hey, dog, that's a, that's a cool shirt. Like, where can I get one of those?" And you know, he'll just come and compliment you and immediately start taking an interest in you.
3: And you know, I think that's 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 rare. <laughs> um, yeah, he's just a genuinely good dude. Well, face everything and rise is an amazing song. Thank you. And I know you absolutely killed that. Thank you. Yes, yes. And I I love that song. I think what you did with that band was
4: great. Thank, thank you. It was it was a very special record for me, and um, just the experience of working with them and and Jacoby. I mean, that that record was like working with your best friends, making something you love, and you love it the whole time you're doing it, and then it's well received, and you can't get better than that.
3: <laughs> that is the ultimate. You
4: know, I mean, when you're cheersing every day to. Face Everything and Rise and then, you know, six, <laughs> six months later or a year later practically after it's out, it's, it's, not, it's, you know, number one single and stuff. My first number one single, um, uh, you know, it was, it was really, really special for sure. Congrats
2: on that. And uh, last question uh, is from Riley Jackson and just wondering, what do you do when you get stuck on a section of a song, like a chorus?
4: Yeah, um, I think that's a good question and it, and it happens, I would say, every day at some point. And um, I like to work, oddly enough, on a lot of things at once. I find if I can switch gears even for a minute, if I'm, if I'm writing a song and then maybe also doing a mix for someone else at the same time, I'll just flip over to the mix for a couple hours of the other thing and do something else for those two hours. And when I go back to the, to the other song, you know, it feels fresh again and sometimes I just find that digs up new, new inspiration. Um, that being said, sometimes you just got to go outside and you know walk around the building, walk walk around the parking lot, just take some fresh air. If you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not a cigarette cigarette smoker, but if you're a smoker, you smoke. If you're a meditator, you maybe med- meditate for a little bit. If you're a if you're a, if you're a weed guy, you you, you, you you might smoke a bowl, and all of a sudden the song sounds different when you come back and you think of something different.
1: You know, it's just... Uh, yeah, I think just taking yourself out of the process and coming back to it with a different perspective.
4: Yeah, and, and pe- people ask me that a lot about objectivity and how even you remain objective and stuff like that, being so involved in like every part of the song. And I, um, I find it's really not that hard. I just... If I'm indecisive about something at this point, I if I can't become make a decision after taking a break for twenty minutes, then it's not even that important of a decision. <laughs> or, or 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 I'll split the difference of this of the decision of my uncertainty. And that usually just answers the you know solves the problem at least enough enough for me until someone has an opinion about it. <laughs>
2: well at what point do you decide to just ditch the part?
4: Uh that's tough. I mean I mean maybe that's contingent upon how much time I have to deliver it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. You know, if if I'm doing a writing session that's only 2 days to write a song or something and we're stuck on something for more than half a day, it's like we got to just get off of it and and move on to anything else. You know, that being said, like even when I write a song, I don't I don't like to do it like sequentially. So, if I get stuck on a chorus, let me start working on the bridge and if I get stuck on the bridge, let me start doing some programming in the verse. And because I'm usually doing production too, you know, if I if I'm stuck on a song part, I just do a little production somewhere, and maybe it inspires the song part a a little more, Um, you know. Or or there's tricks too. I think um, I find with rock, it's it gets really hard to write different kinds of melodies under under riffs that don't don't move around a lot. There's a lot of you know open where there's a lot of open notes and you're always falling on the, on the open string and you know they're kind of one chord songs to me. A lot of the time I'll, I'll put a, a keyboard progression behind the riff. So that way it just throws more melody in there. so it's easier for me to, to write melodies too. And then even if I take it out after, you know that, that me- melody will still probably work or, or, or whatever but, but uh, it just inspires something different, I suppose. That reminds me of a question I
2: forgot to ask you, but lots of people have trouble with transitions and endings. Do you have any tricks for that or any specific methods that you use to just get transitions seamless?
4: Um I mean as far as endings and stuff, I I hate I hate outro, I hate outros that fade out and I hate I hate like just non non-definitive ends. So, so I I'm, I'm always a big fan of like it's something ending abruptly or ending on a bump bump you know or what you know ending on the last word of the chorus or what, what whatever i mean i like very definitive ends for sure so i'm always trying to you know figure out how, usually
3: how to do that so you don't like the fade out guitar solo where the guitar player puts oh, oh, all the best it. licks at the very quietest <laughs> part of the song so you got to jack up the volume such a cop oh, out i hate that there was an ingve song dude that never mind all well, well <laughs>
4: and and i think part of it too is from playing in my um from playing in bands myself and having like backing tracks and stems and stuff, the the worst part is when you have a song that didn't have a definitive end and you're you're making stems and trying to figure out how it ends and having to you know make different live stems that have endings and and stuff like and stuff like that so you could play play it live without pretending to all fade out <laughs> you know or, <laughs> or whatever whatever so uh, but I'm always you know I'm used to thinking of some of those mechanics where maybe you know another writer producer wouldn't always Think from the band point of view of running stems off an iPod and having a proper ending.
2: <laughs> Usually, when I hear fade outs, I just think that somebody ran out of ideas.
4: To me, it's it's I have only ever used a fade out when I just couldn't figure out how to end it, or or it, or it was a <laughs> there you go,
1: <laughs> or, or it was a client request and they just absolutely wanted that, you know. But I'll tell you the only case where I think a fade out is warranted and it's when there's a part of the song that just you wish could go on forever and ever and ever and obviously you're not going to be able to get away with doing that so yeah for sure you have a re- you have a repeat co- quite a few times but it's got to be like out. the interlude or the
4: last <laughs> track of the CD or something like or, that or too. it's got to be like you know yeah like a sing- singular saxophone solo just at the end you know if it, if- <laughs> Fading off in the New York distance. <laughs>
1: okay, hey, let me let me ask you one quick thing uh, here as sort of like a last question. Because there's a common thought process that the, for- the sort of formal songwriting knowledge can cripple creative uh, thinking for great songwriting. But I think you can find sort of the opposite thinking in terms of when it comes to production. I think there's a lot of people who learn how to make stuff sound good but don't understand songwriting. And so I'm just curious... Would you agree that knowing more about songwriting can help you be a better mixer or a better producer or all the different types of skills oriented with this craft? I think for sure. I think, I think all those things, you know, bleed back into
4: each other. I feel like a lot of what, you know, makes me um, a, a good producer is uh, that I'm, I feel like I'm a good mixer. And, you know, I'm in some ways, I feel like I'm such a good mixer that I can get away with a lot of stuff, even at the engineering level because because i know how it's all going to work in the end you know, I just, it, it just it just all all correlates. I think even being a good mixer makes you a better songwriter because I'm used to thinking about l- song length and radio edits, and I almost write like that. You know, you I, I haven't ever usually had to do any radio edits of songs I've written <laughs> because they are the radio they are the radio edits. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're writing good songs, they shouldn't need radio edits. And if some if someone's asked me for a radio edit, I feel like the song's not good enough, and I need to make the the, the song shorter.
1: right absolutely it's a huge pain to get a great song and then go back and think of it as a radio edit and go oh shit like and and
4: some sometimes it's impossible but for sure but you know i think as a kid i also just liked i i I hated hearing a different version on the album than I heard on the radio, so it's more just even still yeah. the the fourteen year old in me functioning from the place of well I want to give them the right version, and I don't want them to have to have the Tom Lord LJ Radio Remix,
1: or whatever. By the way, anyone that hears my radio edit for the two new Asking Alexandria songs, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Yeah, you know, it's 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 teacher zone. I mean, I've had I've heard people say the flip side of that and say that they loved when they heard a different version and it just gave them more to more to dig into and stuff, but I usually feel cheated cuz I usually like the radio version. <laughs> and then when I, and then when it's not on the record, that I'm uh, a a sad customer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, hey man, it's been great having you on here. S- thanks so much for offering up your perspective sure. on you. this. And uh Thanks for answering the audience questions
3: and everything, and we appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really, really, really had a lot of fun after talking to you for an hour here. There's no doubt in my mind why you, you and your dad are where you guys are at, (laughs) and kicking so much ass and kicking out top tens like they're a joke. So it's, uh, you know really awesome to kind of dig into your process. You guys are killing it. Keep at it. Thank you so much. It means a lot.
0: The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast brought to you by Mick DSP. Professional audio plugins. For over 15 years, Mick DSP has continued producing industry acclaimed and award winning software titles. Visit MCDSP.com for more information. The podcast is also brought to you by Slate Digital. All the pro plugins. One low monthly price. Visit SlateDigital.com for more information. Thank you for listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy
1: slash podcast and subscribe today.